Welcome to a digital guide for brokers, where expert guests join me, Luke Canelli from OpenGI, to discuss all things digital in the UK general insurance market. Hello, and in this episode, we explore all things AI and ML, or artificial intelligence and machine learning to give them their full titles. For this episode of OpenGI's Digital Guide for Brokers series, we consider the power of machine learning and the rapid rise in the use of AI. Question what the difference is and whether we need to be wary of both or either. To kickstart the discussion, there'll be a broad overview alongside more specific context that considers the likes of ChatGPT and Google Bard, and we'll look at whether insurance is playing catch up. Joining the conversation today is Tom Murphy, Chief Technology Officer at Machine Learning Programs, or MLP. Tom founded MLP alongside Julian Holloway and Brendan Anulon in 2018. Now part of the OpenGI Group, the company are at the forefront of introducing machine learning to broking businesses, offering a range of AI and machine learning services to the general insurance and financial markets. Tom will be on hand to offer an engaging and informative deep dive into machine learning and AI the tangible benefits and what they can offer the insurance industry in terms of revolutionizing the accuracy of pricing and assessment of risk when providing cover. At the same time, he'll be offering an insight into why MLP exists, what drove the need to launch the business and talk about products including MLP score and intelligent pricing. As part of the conversation, Tom will use a clever analogy to explain machine learning. He'll also discuss why machine learning and AI are changing the shape of insurance industry and how insurers and brokers can adopt them both and why. We'll also discuss humans versus AI and answer questions such as where's the balance and are we being replaced? We'll also reflect on what might happen to us and how things could change from both the business and operational perspective. We'll also consider pricing dynamics and expand on what happens when machine learning is 99% adopted. To conclude, there'll be a summary of three key takeouts from the episode and a look at what the future might hold what could happen if brokers and insurers don't adopt machine learning, and where it might leave them. So, Tom, hello, welcome. Thanks for joining us today on A Digital Guide for Brokers. I guess to start with, we'll we'll try and set a bit of context for this, this topic around rise of the machines, which sounds like quite an ominous kind of title. I guess from my perspective, it's it's hot in the not only our trade press at the moment, but the national press with, with all things chat, GPT, Google Bard, all of this, these kind of newfangled artificial intelligence terms that we're, we're now coming across. I guess what I'd like to get to to begin with is, is just a bit of a context from your perspective in terms of what artificial intelligence means versus perhaps the, the sort of modern day consumer understanding of it. And importantly, what the difference is between artificial intelligence and machine learning. Oh, look, thank you for having me. What's the difference between artificial intelligence and machine learning? Well, artificial intelligence is very broadly, the attempt to simulate cognition with technology. So it's an attempt to make technology seem intelligent. And machine learning is one of the methods by which we try and achieve that. So it's not the only method. So back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, we had things like fuzzy logic and rules-based systems. So we had ever more complex programs that we were writing bigger and bigger and bigger computer programs to try and cover every possible question that somebody could ask or every possible situation that the computer might find itself in. And that obviously is kind of a Herculean task. Then came along machine learning, which is why don't we just write a program that 
could train another program to learn all the, the possibles. Uh, and that's been much more successful. So we, we've kind of replaced us writing a clever program with another program writing a clever program, shall we say. There are multiple different ways of, of attempting machine learning. Some of them are to simulate a, a brain. Some of them are to uh, use genetics to select uh, a program that's more successful. But, but effectively, uh, in answer to your question, machine learning is one of the ways in which you can attempt to create AI. And it is right now by far and away the most successful way of attempting to create AI. So AI is the goal, to produce something that, that seems to think like a human. And machine learning is the, the method by which we're trying to do that. Nice. That broadly makes sense to me. So I guess the, the, the obvious question from there is, what, what's the, the application for the insurance industry? Is Where can we go with, with, that, with that evolution that's taken place and, and now we're in a position where it's being relatively well accomplished? What, what can we do to apply that in our, in our industry? Well, insurance is interestingly a very data based industry so it's it's an industry that kind of lives and dies on its data which is curious because the data is generally pretty poorly kept in the industry but if you think about it underwriters use a lot of data they never meet the person all they know about the person that they're insuring is the data we're doing it all now through computers through aggregators etc so it's an entirely data driven industry so anywhere where a decision is made uh, on that data uh, computers are going to play a role. Now, sometimes that's very simple and we can just have a computer say yes or no <clears throat> based on is this true or false or is that one or zero or is that yes or no. Uh, we can have a computer give an answer to it, but sometimes there are judgments that are made. For example, underwriting, uh, pricing, fraud. Uh, those sorts of places where a skilled operator is making a, a decision uh, based on their own judgment, based on, on a certain amount of good feel and historical experience. Those are the areas that machine learning is very good at uh, assisting the operator to do so. They don't necessarily replace them, but they can certainly give uh, give a, 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 a qualified viewpoint on, uh, on what they're seeing. So something like propensity to claim. So how likely is this person to make a claim in the next 12 months? Machine learning AIs are, are quite good at predicting that sufficiently good that they improve the bottom line of, of, of insurers who are using them. But they're not replacing underwriters per se. They're assisting underwriters to say, hey, you're, this is out of, out of whack. Is there a reason that isn't in the data why this might be out of whack? So we always try and stress that it's, it's an additional element to it as opposed to a, a, a replacement of it, of the person. But so, so anywhere the answer to your question is anywhere that that a decision is made by a, a qualified individual with some sort of breadth of experience, that's an area that's that's ripe for assistance with with artificial intelligence. So, I mean, risk selection, price selection, fraud, damage assessment, sales, chatbots, cancellation, prediction, all those areas are 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 areas that we would see as ripe for for machine learning. It's interesting, isn't it? It's the, the applications, I guess, almost limitless. And it, it kind of feels, as you're talking, that you could almost get away with running a, you know, a, an insurance business entirely based on, on AI and, and machine learning. But I guess there's the, the practical element, as you say, it's, it's not really designed to replace jobs, but 
but perhaps to to enhance them as as such. So I guess there's sort of leads me on to one of the questions that I had is this kind of, you know, the fear around around AI, anything artificial or, or machine kind of driven, particularly being kind of ramped up by the national press at the moment. Should we be wary of of kind of machine learning its applications? Are there any dangers or risks in in kind of putting it in place? And and you know, going back to your point around data as well, are there any kind of implications around the usage of that data in machine learning that brokers should be considering? Well, the fear that people have about about AI, it's it's not a fear they should have of you know the AI becoming super sentient and enslaving humanity. That's that's not that's not something that's that's on the cards certainly not at the moment. But there should be concern about what unscrupulous people can do with with artificial intelligence. So, and I'm talking now in the broader sense outside the insurance industry, but. We are already seeing like weapons of war being controlled by artificial intelligence. We see, you know, everyone has seen the videos online of the the cute dancing puppy robot, but it's not so cute if you put a gun on its head and <laughs> yeah. and you know release it into into a, a battlefield or into you know a, a, what goes on the battlefields ends up on our streets at some mm-hmm. stage in terms of of policing etc. So, you know, we need we do need to be to be cognizant and careful about the applications of of AI. By people who maybe are, are less scrupulous than 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 many others. Certainly, in terms of data, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. In terms of data, there's there's always concern that you have what we call subgroup bias. That's a danger that people don't think about because uh, we tend to be very simplistic about what we want machines to do. And in our my job, for example, is partly to to consider those sorts of subgroup biases and to avoid prejudice and bias in our systems against any subgroup, really those, you know, race, gender, location, all of the sorts of, of, of possible biases that you can have that, 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 that crop up. So people should be concerned that AI is being used with due care and consideration for, for certain things, but not, not that they're, you know, going to suddenly find themselves working for a robot. No. Nice. So I guess, you know, equally from a consumer perspective as well, it's, it's kind of, they're the ones that are, are most prevalently going to be affected by any form of bias, I guess. But it, from your perspective, obviously, it's largely your role is to to be aware of that and, and make sure that it's it's something that can be overcome and, and therefore doesn't really exist when a product goes live, I guess. Is, is that yeah. fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. We spend quite a bit of time internally here. Um, just running tests for subgroup bias to make sure that the you know when we, when we release a new AI that it hasn't moved excessively in any one area so that we we spot new biases arising that it isn't excessively punishing one group over another in order to to gain an advantage or we'll look at why why a clustering might be downgraded in in insurance terms and say well what's common between these clusters or between these people in this in this cluster to ensure that it's not identifying a, a profile and, and, and using profiling in that way. So yeah, absolutely quite a bit of our time is spent on ensuring that it's accurate, as accurate as it can be, while you know, maintaining the, 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 the non-biased elements of it, you know, the, 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 the approaches we use, try and improve the, the non-biased state of the, of the, of the system. Nice. So I guess it's, it's kind of almost, you know, for anyone working in insurance, it's almost a common sense application of, of what you do in a traditional insurance world and, and making sure that that's ethically and 
professionally applied to, a, you know, a kind of machine learning product or a, an artificial intelligence of, of sorts, which kind of leads me on to the, the next question. It's something that you touched on earlier is, you know, there, there are multiple applications for machine learning. You've got kind of risk and underwriting and pricing and, and all of those those various different areas. How how does that affect the dynamic of a, a business in terms of, you know, the, the replacement or otherwise of, of jobs? What, what does it free people up to do if it's not directly replacing their jobs in those specific scenarios? Well, one of the things I always point out is that AI is not the the thing that replaced, you know, underwriters or or jobs in the in the underwriting area, it was the aggregators that did that. <laughs> the, the aggregators suddenly took it from a phone call where you could have a, a few minutes conversation with the customer and take details down to a three seconds of you know, I, I, here, here's a person who wants insurance and they want insurance from 15, 20 insurers in three seconds time. So the, the the demand for kind of digital underwriting has come from the, the aggregators. The AI is kind of answering that call and, and producing better systems to do that. But realistically, what happened was that the, the aggregators came along and then people have been trying to write or hurriedly writing some old school programming in order to kind of do underwriting on the fly within three seconds. And in, uh, AI has, has come along to say, look, we can do this better taking your history, taking your underwriter's experience and assist them to to put themselves into the, the, the quote flow, into the, the black box of the aggregators and make better decisions on the fly there and then. Then when it comes to kind of bind time, you can say, well, what did the AI think of this, this person in the first place and have a human look at it and make sure that it's it, it, they concur with the with the answer. You can backwash and take out ones that you you feel for whatever reasons that the the AI has gotten wrong. But it, it then becomes a, a piece of data that you can interview and and look at at the point of blind. So, in terms of of where are we for replacement of underwriters? I think we're always going to have underwriters. They need they need to be there. They need to be checking. But we're seeing the first tranche, the, like the first interaction with underwriting being in the aggregators and the aggregators demand such speed that no human could possibly be there and do that. And the AI is a, is a better, is the answer to, to, to putting an underwriter in a box and having them work at speed for you. So it's, I often point out, it's not really us. We, we, we're the solution. We're not the problem here. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess it's it's a, a question of value, I, I guess, isn't it? In in terms of that that kind of process or any of the processes, actually, it's it's freeing people's time up and and making sure that their effort can be applied where it's really making a difference. To well, that, um, happens. that happens a lot with fraud, actually. Funnily enough, so you have fraud uh, detection and you have a fraud team. They're typically the most experienced people in the company. They're very expensive people, and Almost every company I've, I've visited or worked with, they didn't have enough fraud investigators because it's a slow process. It, it takes a lot of time to investigate a fraud to make a determination. And and if you were to have enough people to do every possible fraud case, you would lose all. You would lose more money than on the fraud in just in paying them their wages. So, so what we did with with fraud was we we optimized those people. So. Say you have six people in, in an, an organization who are dedicated to looking after fraud. 
and they have a pile of policies that came in yesterday. So they've got a, a, a giant pile of policies that they'll never get through, but they'll look at them and go, try and find the really odd looking ones and maybe we'll try and do something with them, right? So that's what tends to happen. At the end of the day, they go, that was a hard day. And they shove everything else kind of forward because the next day there's going to be another pile of, of policies come in. So what we do is we run the, a fraud bot over the pile of policies and we order them by likeliness to be a fraud candidate. So we color code them then and say, this one's red, that one's yellow, that one's green, that one's gray. Red being definitely something wrong here. This needs a this needs attention of a human. Orange being, you know, not great, certainly needs attention. Not as bad as the, as the red, but still. Green means, look, there's a couple of bits missing, but this seems otherwise fine. And gray means this, one, this one's perfect. It can go straight through. So what that allows you to do then is take the six people that you had before, and instead of kind of sh- scattergunning them at the, at the pile of policies, you can now say start at the top, the, m- the most extreme likeliness of being fraud, the ones that, that are setting off alarm bells within the, the system. And that might be, hey, we've seen a lot of, policies from the same postcode, the same details or the same name being submitted today, or there's something broader that if you looked at this one policy, it would be fine. But given that the, the fraud bot is looking at them all, it goes, hmm, there's something something very suspicious about about this. So it, it helps the, the team to, to be more optimized, start at the top where they're likeliest to, to find fraud. And so when they work down that list, they are more effective as a team. And that's really what we're about with with artificial intelligence in in our company is improving and optimizing the humans' approach to things. Because humans are still the best at the business, right? They're still they're still the 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 ultimately the the the, the biggest brains on the planet. So it's it's just about how you apply those rare resources, those those expensive humans. It's interesting, isn't it? Because the the applications can be so broad sweeping or particularly niche, I guess, in, in terms of the the kind of usage of them. You've mentioned previously around sort of aggregators specifically, I guess there's, there's an opportunity for brokers to kind of enrich and, and enhance the, the service that they're currently putting through aggregators or use machine learning and artificial intelligence potentially, I guess, as, a, as an alternative to, to aggregator sites. So not only is it helping improve efficiency, it's actually you know, adding a degree of flexibility, I guess, into to how you can choose to, to run your business and, and offer your, your products and services up to consumers. So what I'd perhaps like to touch on, we've, we've mentioned, you know, it's helping machine learning itself is helping with prioritization. If you were, you know, at, in a broker's shoes and, and being mindful of, of, of different sized brokerages in particular, so, you know, the large scale, very heavily resourced and, and financially affluent firms out there, and perhaps the the smaller kind of, you know, high street ends of, you know, the, the, the sort of almost one man band brokerages. What are, what are your kind of tips, I guess, for, for adopting machine learning and, and implementing that in a business? Well, on the larger scale, a lot of the brokers are, you know, depending on, on, what area we're talking about being at underwriting that need be an MGA of their sales, they, you know, they could be a, a classic broker, etc. The larger brokers will kind of feel like, why should we buy outsourced stuff because, you know, they do programs, etc. because we have a big, a big company and a big team and we can probably write it ourselves. And that's very dangerous 
this isn't like old school programming. This isn't the sort of thing that, you know, Jimmy in the IT department can just knock up. <laughs> it's, it's really dangerous when you do that because <clears throat> like in our company, for example, we have one world authority in, in Brendan and Ill. one, two, three doc- doctors, three doctors of data science, four people with masters in data science and everybody who works in the department, the technology department has a primary degree in data science. So it's a very hard hitting heavy team academically. And we still spend a lot of time checking each other's work. You know, everything we do is, is peer reviewed in-house before it goes live <clears throat> because it's a whole new industry, a whole new area. Mistakes can happen. You need to constantly check and recheck work. So the idea that some poor overworked programmer is just going to read a book somewhere and suddenly be writing your your AI stuff is, is just, it's a very dangerous fantasy. So the larger brokers, <clears throat> definitely I would say you need to look to external people at the very least for, for support and consultancy, but it's a lot easier just to, to buy it off the shelf. For the smaller brokers, they, they really don't have a choice. I mean, they, they're not going to have the sorts of, of teams or the sort of data that they could possibly make any of this work with. So for them, it's, it's, it's a question of, look, this is just something that can help you. You buy it off the shelf. It's a, it's a little like, you know, credit score. It's just going to help you make, you know, better business. So we always say do better business faster, right? And that, that's really where it's at for, the, for, the, for the, the, the smaller brokers. They probably won't see so much of the impact of it uh, on their bottom line be, you know, in terms of costs because it's just going to get built into the systems that they already use. So when a small broker is using, let's say, Mobius, uh, Mobius will come with a, an option to, to turn on MLP score and they can just go, yeah, I, w- I want to I consume that. And there's a small price to that and fine. So the, from their point of view, they're, they're going to just ingest artificial intelligence in, in ways that won't seem unnatural to them. It's it, like a, a credit score or a candy court judgments rating or whatever it is. It, 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 it'll come back in those sorts of forms and, and they, won't, they won't really think twice about what it's doing behind the scenes. Nice. So it's, it's I mean, it sounds, you, you know, the term off the shelf makes it sound really easy to set up. Like, you know, I could go out tomorrow and almost you know, pop my credit card details in on my company banking information and I'll be off and running with my, my machine learning products. Yeah, yeah. All right. Is, is that the case? Yeah, <laughs> is that true? That's exactly what all of those doctors and masters of data science over here are working to, for you to do. And yeah, that's that's basically what, what we offer as a, as a service is we have a massive amount of data. I mean, OGI is the largest data broker on you know, in the industry. We have had access to that flow of data to, you know, anonymized and, and protected by GDPR. So we don't get personal data or anything like that, but we, we get pricing data and we get policy data and we've been building a very powerful AI with that data. And you can access that, that very powerful AI for a very small amount of money. You can come and ask it, Hey, what do you think about this policy? Do you think this person is likely to claim, or where do you think they rate in a hundred people? So the answer we give back is here's where this person rates on an average hundred people. If you pick them up the street here, this person is, is at this level of, of risk. So they're 78th likely to, to have a claim next year, or they're second likely to have a claim, in which case you gotta go, no, I don't really want to insure this person or I want to insure them, but at a, a quite steep cost. 
that that is basically a brain for rent. The way we do artificial intelligence is very powerful. We we build simulated brains. So we build in neural networks. We build a lot of other tech I don't want to talk about behind the scenes, but what we're effectively giving you is access to a brain for rent, a very well-trained underwriter's brain for rent for a very brief period of time, <laughs> like any <laughs> seconds of time, uh, which is all you need for, for during a, uh, a quote flow. But yeah, that's, that's basically where, what it's down to is that we have a dedicated, what we call an artificial specific intelligence. So it's very good at doing exactly one thing. And it's it's available t- for access for for a payment for a monthly payment. It's amazing. I mean, it almost falls into the the too good to be true camp. It's you know the fact that I could effectively take out a subscription to a big box of genius tomorrow and uh, you know super 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 drive my business to the the horizon and back. Well, it's, it's, um, I'd like to amazing. point out that it's taken us two hard years of work. <laughs> <laughs> Ten people who are all. Like, up of their game and world authorities on this stuff has taken us two years to build this. Like we we have we have worked really really hard to make it this simple. So so yeah, it's it's but it, yeah, it does seem almost too good to be true. But believe me, it has it has been long hard slog on our side of the game. And that's where part one ends of this two part episode from OpenGI's podcast on the rise of the machines. Next time. Listen in to part two of host Luke Canelli's conversation with Tom Murphy, where they explore how people in the insurance and broking sector will eventually realize that AI and machine learning are an indispensable part of doing business. Mm-hmm.